Praise the Lord. Peace and many blessings. We thank God for tonight. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here under your feet. We pray that even as your word comes, Lord, let great understanding come to us. Let great insight come to us. Stir our hearts, O God, to know you more and to love you more in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Uh, This evening we will be looking at the theme life in Christ. I will just share with us briefly on the theme life in Christ. Life in Christ. Uh, Shall we turn our Bibles to the book of Peter chapter 2 and the verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 9. First Peter chapter two and the verse nine. Okay, I read. The Bible says, But you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Now, this verse helps us to understand the genesis or the starting point of every individual's Christian experience. This verse explains what happened the day you came forward and you said that I'm giving my life to Jesus. According to this verse, the Bible says that you were translated or you were called out of darkness into light. And spiritually, that's what happened the day you gave your life to Jesus. The day you came forward and you said the sinner's prayer. In the realms of the spirit, this is what happened. There was a kingdom you were in called darkness. And then you are translated from that kingdom of darkness into light. When you get born again, you don't feel any change in physical appearance. But spiritually, there's a switch from the kingdom of darkness into light. Now, we have to understand that this light that we are translated into is first and foremost a personality. The light that we are translated into is a person, is a personality. It says you are called out of darkness into light. And that light is a personality called Jesus. Hallelujah. So when the Bible says that we are called out of darkness into light, we are called out of darkness into Jesus. That is what it, that is what it really means. Now, how do we know that this light is Jesus? Uh, I think I've explained here before that we, we believe that Jesus is the light because of three things. Number one, because Jesus calls himself light. In John 8 verse 12, Jesus calls himself light. It says, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus called himself light. He said, I am the light of the world. This is why we believe that Jesus is this light because Jesus calls himself light. Number two is because the Father calls the Son light. Jesus calls himself light. God the Father calls God the Son light. John three sixteen and 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So notice that it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. So God gives his son into the world. Let's continue. It says, For God did not send his son into the world 
to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So you see in verse 17 that God says, I send my son into the world. 18. He says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God. 19. He says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So in 19, you see, you see here that he now says that light has come into the world. But in 16, 17, 18, he says, my son is come into the world. But when we come to 19, he doesn't say my son is come into the world. He says light is come into the world. So the father calls the son light. And then the third reason we believe that Jesus is this light is because Jesus literally appeared as light to people. Jesus literally appeared as light to people. When you read Acts chapter 10, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, we are told that he saw a bright light and he spoke and asked that, who are you? And if you read the account carefully, the Bible says that, and the light spoke back to him and said that, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The light said, I am Jesus. Hallelujah. And so, the reason why we accept that Jesus is light is because of these three things. That number one, he calls himself light. Number two, the father calls the son light. And number three, Jesus literally appears as light to people. Now, so when we say we are translated from darkness into light, I, I was saying all of these things just for us to understand that Jesus is this light that we are talking about. So when you give your life to Jesus, when you, when you say you come forward and say that you are surrendering yourself, you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into Christ. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is that what are the possibilities available to a life that is in Christ? What are the possibilities available to a life that is in Christ? When a person comes into Christ, when a person surrenders himself to Christ, what are the possibilities that is available to that life that is in Christ? We will look at five major things that is available for a life that is in Christ. Five major things. Number one, in Christ there is no condemnation. In Christ there is no condemnation. In Christ there is no condemnation. Let's look at Romans 8 and the verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, from this verse, the Bible tells us, There is now therefore no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. So, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For a life that is in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, there is conviction, but not condemnation. In Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. And what you are required to do when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin is to repent and then ask for forgiveness of sin. So, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, there is conviction. Now, when you understand this, then you understand Hebrews 4 verse 16 better. The Bible says that, let us therefore come to the throne, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Can we look at that verse quickly? Hebrews 4 and the verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I always say that the reason why the writer of Hebrews tells us that let us come boldly before the throne of grace is because he's aware that at the throne of grace, condemnation does not exist. So he says, come boldly. If there was a possibility of condemnation, then he will not write to us and say that when you are approaching the throne of grace, come boldly. Because what if you will be condemned? Then you cannot come boldly. But on that throne of grace, there is no condemnation. On that throne of grace, there are two things. There is mercy and there is grace. So he says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy 
and you obtain grace to help you in time of need. On that throne, you don't obtain condemnation. On that throne, you obtain mercy and you obtain grace. Mercy to pardon you for your wrongs. Mercy to pardon you for your sins. And grace to help you to overcome. Hallelujah. That is what is available on the throne of grace. And in this dispensation, God is sitting on his throne of grace. And he's saying that when you approach that throne of grace, these are the two things that you will find. A time will come where God will arise from that throne of grace and will sit on another throne called the great white throne. On that great white throne, there's nothing like mercy. There's nothing like grace. There's only condemnation. If you read the book of Revelations, the Bible begins to talk about how God took his throne on the great white throne and the dead appeared before him, both great and, strong, uh, and, and small. And everybody whose name was not in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. The day God ascends that throne, this thing called grace and mercy is no longer available on that throne. But now he's seated on his throne of grace. And on that throne of grace, we obtain mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Hallelujah. So in Christ, there's no condemnation. But outside of Christ, there's condemnation. Outside of Christ, there's condemnation. Let's look at John 3. We'll, look, we'll read from verse 16 and verse 18 to verse 18 again. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That is why when you come into him, there's no condemnation. Because he was not sent to condemn the world. But it says that, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So he who is in him is not condemned. But outside of Christ, there's condemnation. Hallelujah. So, in Christ, in Him, there's no condemnation. Number two, in Christ, there is salvation. In Christ, there is salvation. In Christ, there is salvation. Let's look at Proverbs 18 and the verse 10. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. The righteous run into it and they are safe. So there is safety in Christ. There is salvation in Christ. This is one of the verses that show us the safety and the salvation that happens when a man comes into Christ. In Christ, there is safety. In Christ, there is salvation. Now, somebody will say, so what are we saved from? If in Christ there is safety and salvation... What are we saved from? And what are we saved from? Hallelujah. Number one, we are saved from the second death. We are saved from the second death. In Christ, we are saved from the second death. Let's read Revelation 21 and the verse 8. Revelation 21 verse 8. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, Sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, this verse is telling us about the second death. In Christ, there is salvation from this second death. So, when you read Romans, uh, uh, John 3 and the verse 16, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. That perish there is talking about the second death. So whoever believes in him, whoever comes into Christ, escapes the second death. Hallelujah. So in Christ, there's salvation from the second death. Number two, in Christ, there's salvation from the works of darkness. Anybody who is in Christ is saved from the works of darkness. Let's look at First John chapter 3 and the verse... 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Then he says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, he will destroy the works of darkness or the works of the devil over whom? Over those who come into him. Hallelujah. So when he says that he would destroy the works of the devil, he is destroying the works of the devil over those who come into him. That is why the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and they have safety from the works of the devil. Because the Son of God was made manifest so that whoever comes into him, he destroys the works of darkness or the works of the devil over that individual. Praise the Lord. Now, that is why we have the recordings of Mary Magdalene. Outside of Christ, when Mary Magdalene had not had an encounter with Christ, the Bible says that in her was seven demons. But when she came into Christ, Jesus casted out the seven demons. What had happened? The works of darkness was destroyed over her because she had had an encounter with Christ. Anybody that has an encounter with Christ, automatically you become qualified to receive the destroying of the works of the devil over your life. Praise the Lord. And we see this again happening with the Samaritan woman when he met Jesus at Jacob's well. Before, we know that he had had about five husbands and the one he was with was not the husband. But when she had an encounter with Jesus, that power was broken over her life. That power of darkness was broken over her life. And the Bible says that, and she went into the city and she brought all of the men of the city unto Christ. What had happened? The works of darkness was destroyed over her life. When a person comes into Christ, they receive salvation from the works of darkness. Praise the Lord. The third thing we are saved from is that we are saved from calamity, disgrace, and misfortune. We are still looking at the second point. In Him, there is salvation. In Christ, there is salvation. The third thing we are saved from is that we are saved from calamity, we are saved from disgrace, we are saved from misfortune in Christ. You know, in Psalm 23, David writes, and David says that, Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David was saying that, look, I go through, I always say that when there is death, there is the shadow of death and there is the fear of death. Death is when you have died. The shadow of death is when you feel that death is close to you. So if I stand here, my shadow is casted here. What it means is that if you can see my shadow, it means I'm close to you. I'm close to the shadow, right? Now, so if David talks about the shadow of death, it means that he's, he's saying that, look, I can see death visiting me. I can see death approaching me because I can see the shadow of death. So death is close to me. But he says that, look, I fear no evil because God is with me. God will save me from the shadow of death. God will save us from the shadow of disgrace. God will save us from the shadow of misfortune. David said, I have been young and I have been old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children beg for bread. Hallelujah. Because in Christ, there is salvation from disgrace, from misfortune, calamity. Hallelujah. In him, there is salvation. Praise the Lord. Number three, in Christ, there is discovery of identity and purpose. In Christ, there is discovery of identity and purpose. Let's look at Acts 17 verse 28. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offsprings. For in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being, in him we have our identity. Hallelujah. Everybody has to understand that everybody born into this world has an, an, an identity as recorded in heaven. Praise the Lord. Now, you come into the knowledge of that identity and the probability of the fulfillment of that identity only when you come into Christ. It's in Christ, when you have come into Christ, that is when your eyes begin to open to see your true identity as scripted in heaven. Praise the Lord. So, for example, let's take Paul. In Christ, Paul was an apostle. But outside of Christ, Paul was a Roman citizen, was a tent maker, and was a Pharisee. 
So outside of Christ, this was the identity that Paul had about himself. But in Christ, Paul now begins to discover that in Christ, my true identity is an apostle. So after he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, after he has that encounter with Jesus, he begins to now move in revelations of his identity as penned down in heaven. Hallelujah. So he now comes out and in many of his writings, after his encounter with Jesus, he begins to write and says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In fact, he talks about himself and he says that God who was at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles was also in the at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews. Hallelujah. Paul now becomes very aware that in Christ his call and his identity is that of an apostle. Praise the Lord. It is when a man has come into Christ that he now sets himself on that journey of his, his true, the true revelation of who God has, has, has uh, destined for him to be. Praise the Lord. Now, this is what the Bible tries to get us to understand. When he talks about Jeremiah, when the Bible says that whilst you are in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I ordained you to be a prophet. Hallelujah. But you don't come into the manifestation of a prophet until you have encountered the Christ. Until you have come into the Christ. Jeremiah was not a prophet just because God had penned down that he would be a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet because he had, he had an encounter with God. And that encounter is what, is what transformed him into the true identity that was upon his life was spent down in heaven. Praise the Lord. So there are many people on earth. What is written in heaven and what they are living here on earth, they don't coincide. Yeah. Somebody might be on earth. In heaven, in the books, in the annals, is written that he's supposed to be a pastor somewhere. But here on earth, oh, he's busy chasing money left, right, and center. It is when he has come into the revelation of the Christ, when he has had an encounter with Jesus, then the true identity begins to be revealed unto him. Hallelujah. I pray that we shall all have an encounter that will bring about a revelation of our true identity in Christ. I always say that when you get to heaven, you'll be, marked, you'll be marked based on how well did you live in close proximity to God's blueprint for your life as written in heaven. That is the pass mark. That is the pass mark. Okay, so in heaven, this is what we are written about you. That's, okay, this is your life. How close? You may not be perfect, but at least be on the path. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but imagine you appear before heaven. And in heaven, you were supposed to turn left, but you were busy on the right. Praise the Lord. I pray that we will all find our identity in Christ. We will all find our purpose in Christ. We will all find our calling in Christ. And it's when you have come into Him, that all of these revelations of who you are begins to unfold unto you. I remember uh, one day, uh, Professor Aka came to minister here. And he shared a story about his life. And he said that he was living outside. And he was working and was making good money. And all was well. But when he had an encounter with Christ, eventually he began to sense that, no, this place I am, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This, my identity in Christ is not here. It's back in Ghana. He says the Lord showed him clear that he's supposed to come to Ghana and be a lecturer in Ghana. Because the purpose for his life was to help a student force and to be a blessing to a student force. So that, that is not where... But he came to this revelation after he had come into Christ. And I remember he said that he called his father and said, look, I'm coming back. And I remember very well, he said his father told him that, Dabi, you don't come from there to here. You, you move from here to there. You don't, you don't, you don't reverse. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you see, if he hadn't come into that revelation of his true identity in Christ, he may have done well here on earth. He may appear before heaven, and heaven will show him that, look, this, this is what we had for you. This is what you did. Look at what we had and look at what you did and see whether you have fulfilled purpose or not. We all have to remember, in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that for by grace you are saved through faith of yourself, lest any man should boast. Then he says that for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are created not outside of Christ Jesus, but in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which means that anybody who is created outside of Christ Jesus cannot amount to good work because your journey to the fulfillment of good work starts in your creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
It doesn't start with your creation into the world. It starts with your creation in Christ Jesus. So we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So your journey of good works begins from your creation in Christ Jesus. Now that is why Apostle Paul now begins to pray for the Galatians church and says that my dear children in whom I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. Because he understands that their journey of the performance of good works starts from their creation in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. A man cannot fulfill purpose until he comes into revelation by being born in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. In him, there is discovery of identity and purpose. In him, there is fruitfulness. In Christ, there is fruitfulness. A life that is in Christ is one of fruitfulness. John 15. Let's look at from verse 5 to verse 7. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, so this, let's go to verse 5, back to verse 5. This is the qualification of bearing much fruit. This is the, the underlining principle. If a life will bear much fruit, this is the underlying principle. Now, let us understand that the bearing much fruit is not bearing much fruit according to the standards of the world. It's bearing much fruit according to the standards of Christ. It says that if you remain in me and I in you, so it is only in him that this thing called bearing much fruit becomes a possibility. Hallelujah. It says, for without me, you can do nothing. 16. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they, are gath- and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Fruitfulness is only possible in Christ. Hallelujah. Now, we have to understand that God's judgment of fruitfulness is very different from the world's judgment of fruitfulness. In the eyes of the world, you may be fruitful. In the eyes of God, you are empty and you are barren. Praise the Lord. Because God's measure of fruitfulness is in alignment to what he has called you to do. That is his measurement of fruitfulness. Praise the Lord. So you can be fruitful, but in the eyes of God, you are barren. You can be fruitful in the world, but in God's eyes, you are barren. And it all has to do with the alignment of God's call, God's purpose, God's, your identity as written in the annals of heaven. In Christ, there is fruitfulness. I remember the story about Peter and the other brethren when they had gone out to the sea. And the Bible says that they had toiled and toiled and toiled and they caught nothing. And all of a sudden, Jesus came onto the sea. And Jesus said, little children, have you any catch? And they said, that, look, we have toiled all night, but we have caught nothing. And Jesus said, cast your net into the deep. And when they casted their net into the deep, the Bible said that they caught a bumper harvest that their net began to break. Their encounter with Jesus was the game changer. Praise the Lord. Your encounter with Jesus it's what transforms your life from a life of barrenness, from a life of emptiness, to a life of fruitfulness. And God, Jesus works that through the, through the medium of the Holy Spirit. Through the medium of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that until the Spirit is poured up on high, and a, fruit, and, a, and, a, and a barren land becomes a fruitful field, and a fruitful field becomes a forest. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible is saying that when the Spirit is poured out from on high, what happens is that if a land is barren, the land becomes a, a fruitful field. And if the land was already a fruitful field, that land now becomes a forest. Hallelujah. It's showing you the effect of the Holy Spirit upon a life of a person. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody's life, what happens is that barrenness is turned into a fertile land or a fruitful field. And a fruitful field receives increase and multiplication to become a forest. Hallelujah. 
is the, the effect of the Holy Spirit upon the life of a people. That is why when Jesus was now sending his disciples out to preach and to teach, remember that his disciples had not gone out before. This was the first time he was sending his disciples out. And he breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Spirit. And the Bible says, after he breathed upon them, they went out and what happened? They were casting out devils, they were healing the sick, they were raising the dead and they came and they said that demons are subject to your name. Why was that, how did that metamorphosis take place? It's because he breathed upon them and he said, receive ye the spirit. It's the coming on of the spirit upon them that transform that energy that was in them to one that now they can raise the dead, they can heal the sick, and they, shall, they can cast out devil. The game changer was the influence of the Holy Spirit as ministered unto them by Jesus. So when he says, without me, you can do nothing. Truly without him, you can do nothing. Praise the Lord. Truly without him, you cannot make impact. Truly without him, look, your ministry will have no effect without the influence of the Holy Spirit upon your life. I always say that when you are preaching, it's not, it's not really the, the dexterity of your communication. It's not the words you use. Look, sometimes, even what you think you are saying is not what the people are hearing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes what you think you are saying is not what even the people are hearing. Sometimes God just needs a vessel to stand here. And what you are saying, because his favor and his spirit is upon your life, he takes what you are saying and he ministers to this person in a way that blesses him and he ministers to that person in a way that blesses him. But their problems are different. It's not what you are saying that is doing that. It's the workings of the Holy Spirit. Using the, sometimes God just needs a person who will stand here and talk. He just needs that look. The people must see somebody talking. Just so that they build faith that God is here and God is ministering to them. That is all sometimes God needs. He just needs a willing vessel. So don't pride yourself in what you said. No, give glory to God because he took what you said. And by the breath of the Holy Spirit on what you have said, he has blessed the lives of the people. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. I don't know how many of us have listened to Ryan Bonky preaching before, but he, he's very simple. He would tell simple stories. Simple stories. He would tell his own life experiences. But in the simplicity of that communication, the power of God moves. And it's because God had breathed on him. God has breathed on him. God has breathed on him and he has decreed over his life that you shall be fruitful in this work and in this call that I've, I've, uh, in this ministry that I've called you to. And so the effect of what we are seeing is as a result of the blessing of God upon his life. God has decreed that you shall be fruitful in this area. I always say that, the Bible says that when um, the, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God again spoke about Jesus and he said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then he said, hear ye him. In other words, he was saying that when you stand to speak, I shall cause men to hearken unto you. It's because I have breathed upon you and I have decreed over your life that when you talk, men must hear you. So when you see people standing here and people hearken to them, 45 minutes, one hour, one and a half hours, two hours, is nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the decree over their life that when you stand to communicate, men must listen to you. It's a blessing that God speaks over you. When you come into him and when you move in alignment to his plans and purposes. The, the songwriter said, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Now, when a person comes into Christ and begins to move in the light of the word of God, God says that I will shed glory on your way. If your field is business, I shed glory on your business. If your field is ministry, I shed glory on your ministry. If your field is in the medical place, I shed glory there. If your field is in the marketplace, I shed glory there. Why? Because you have come into the Lord and you are walking in the light of his word. Praise the Lord. I keep telling people that look, prayer and fasting is not the only pathway by which God pours his glory or God pours his anointing. It's one of the pathways, but it's not the only pathway. Obedience to the purposes of God is one of the pathways that causes a glory to be shed upon your life. And I always use Abraham as an example that, look, check the life of Abraham. We never see that they said Abraham did 40 days fasting and prayer, 3 hours fasting, 5 hours. <laughs> no. 
but guy walked in a realm of glory that he's called the father of faith. It's an accolade that is given to him. And the only reason why he, he, he receives that glory is because God says, look, leave your country. He gets up and he leaves his country. He doesn't know where he's going. God says, sacrifice your son. He says, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my son. God says, look, Sarah is bitter about Hagar. Send Hagar away. God comes to him and says, listen to your wife. Send Hagar away. He said, he's just obeying. He's not doing wild prayers. and wild, but He's just obeying. And God says that, for your obedience, I shed fruitfulness upon your life. I shed a glory upon your life. It's because you have just walked in a way that pleases me. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And one of the things that even, look, somebody will say, ah, but there are people in the world, they are making impact. They don't know Christ. You see, there is something called eternal value. What they are doing has no eternal value. It has no eternal value. One day, the Bible says that when we shall long appear before God, our works shall be passed through fire. And if our works are burned up, we ourselves shall be saved. But there's no eternal reward for us because our works are burned up. Hallelujah. Now, that, that is why as you live your life in Christ, don't just be mindful of what you are doing. Be mindful of the quality of the work and the service you are rendering. Because when you study the Bible carefully, you come to understand that in terms of works, there are three kinds of works. There are good works, there are dead works, and there are evil works. Good works are works of the Spirit. You know, the Bible talks about the works of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Evil works are the works of the flesh. Jealousy, hatred. Dead works are works that have no eternal value. These are the three kinds of works in Scripture. Good works, evil works, dead works. Now, if you are doing evil works, you are doing evil works. If you are doing good works, you are doing good works. But if you are doing dead works, it's the most painful of the two. Because you are doing a work that you receive no eternal value. On the day when your works are tested by fire, it will burn. You yourself will be saved, but there's no eternal reward for what you have done. Because God doesn't just judge your work or the quantum of your work. He judges the quality of your work. Hallelujah. That is why the Bible cautions us how we build. Praise the Lord. When we walk with God in the light of His Word, there's a certain fruitfulness that He blesses us with. In Him, there's fruitfulness. There is fruitfulness that has eternal value. That's why the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. It doesn't make you rich only here on this earth. It makes you rich also in heaven. Hallelujah. In Him, there is fruitfulness. Now, number five. In Him, there is healing. In Christ, there is healing. In Christ, there is healing. In Christ, there is healing. The songwriter wrote and said, you give the healing and the grace that our hearts always hunger for. In Christ, there is healing. When you read your Bible carefully, you have to understand that when Malachi writes in Malachi chapter 4 and the verse 2, when he says that, and the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, that, that verse is actually a prophecy about the Messiah, about the Christ. And he calls the Christ the son of righteousness. But to you who fear the name of the Lord, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, for you to know that he's talking about a personality and a deity, look at how the son of righteousness is written. Written with capital letters, son of righteousness, meaning that it's referring to a person, it's referring to a personality, it's referring to a deity. Now he says that the son of righteousness shall arise, and one of the things that he will come with is that he will come with healing in his wing, and he shall go out and grow fat like storefield cows. Now, this prophecy is, is talking about Jesus, and he was saying that Jesus was going to come into the world, and one of the major characteristics of his ministry and of his coming is that he's going to come with a unique wave of healing. Hallelujah. That is why when Jesus came into the scenes, one of the major things we see him moving was in the healing grace. Because there was a prophecy already written about him that when the son of righteousness comes, he will come with healing in his wings. That's why the Bible writes in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all of them that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Hallelujah. So one of the major things that Jesus came to establish was the healing grace and the healing anointing. 
anybody that comes into him receives healing. Receives healing from pain. Receives healing from infirmities. Receives healing from... Doctors have said that, look, this thing, you have so sweet and so months to live. The Bible says that with us, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Praise the Lord. In Christ Jesus, there is healing. I don't know what the doctors have said over you. I don't know what the doctors have said over your womb. I don't know what the doctors have said over your system. But in Christ Jesus, there is healing. How God anointed you with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what was his assignment? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Because God was in him. I came to tell you that Jesus is a healing Jesus. One of the powers that he carries is the power to heal. So when he said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, one of the authorities he was talking about was the authority to heal the sick. One of the authorities he was talking about was the authority to raise the dead. When he said that all power or all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, it's one of the authorities he has. The authority to heal, the authority to raise the dead. That is why he speaks about himself. And he says that I lay down my life and I pick it up again because I have that authority. All authority, authority over hell, death and the grave is given unto me. Praise the Lord. I just came to tell you that this Jesus we serve. I just came to stir your faith to believe in the healing power of God. You may have had a condition 30 years. You may have had a condition 50 years. You may have had a condition 3 years. You may have had a condition 5 years. But I came to tell you that this Jesus is a powerful healing Jesus. And sometimes it's the way he even heals you that is even marvelous. I remember one day in a meeting somewhere, I was just praying for the sick and there was a lady there and he said, look, she was having this severe eye pain and as the prayer was going on and it was in an enclosed room like this and she said that as the prayer was going on, because the people had lifted up their hands and she said that she saw drops of rain is dropping in her hands. The, the place is covered. There's no rain in the place. He said that drop of is dropping in her hands. And everybody's there. Nobody's, is, is, nobody's having rain. She's in the room. She's having rain. And she said to herself, like the woman who said, I will touch the hem of her garment. She said, I will rub my eyes with this drop of rain that is dropping in my eyes, on my hand. And she said that when she rubbed her eyes, all the pain had disappeared from that water that was dropping in her hand. I'm telling you that this Jesus is a powerful Jesus. This Jesus carries healing in his wings. You know, the songwriter said, Is there anything, anything, anything to have for him? Is there anything is there anything to have for him? Is there anything, anything, anything to have for him? Is there anything, is there anything to have for you see, Jesus doesn't just heal us of physical pain. Jesus also heals us of emotional pain. Jesus also heals us of emotional wounds. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, when he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, look at what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So God heals broken hearts. God heals wounded soul. God heals pain in the heart and in the soul. Praise the Lord. I don't know what pain you may be going through. Maybe you are hurt by your husband. Maybe you are hurt by your wife. Maybe your children, your mother, your father has done something that has hurt you. Maybe you are hurt by a situation in church. Maybe you are hurt by a situation in the ministry. 
and you are asking yourself, how do I rise out of this pain? How do I rise up out of this sorrow? I came to tell you that God heals broken hearts as well. God heals wounded spirits as well. It's not just physical pain He can heal. It is emotional pain He can heal. Sometimes He heals you of the pain. Even through what I'm saying right now, God is healing somebody of a pain in your heart. Somebody may be there and He feels that, look, nobody loves me. But I came to tell you that God by this word is telling you that, look, I see you and I love you and I have you in the palm of my hand and I have loved you with another loving kindness, uh, with another lasting love and I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that is why every now and then, God will use the medium of prophecy to sometimes speak to somebody and to sometimes single somebody out and for us to know that, look, his eyes on the sparrow and he watches over us. He says that we are engraved in, the, in, in, in his palms. He has engraved us in the palm of his hands. I came to tell you that God sees everything you are going through. God sees your pain. God sees your tears. God sees your sorrow. And he says that I will heal your broken heart. God is so wonderful that sometimes even out of your brokenness, even out of your pain... God bets a calling, God bets a ministry, God bets an anointing out of that pain you are in. Because God says that He comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves have received. So sometimes it's necessary to go through a certain pain because there is somebody two years down the line, one year down the line, few months down the line, who will go through a similar thing and God is saying that I will let you go through something like that and I will heal you of that pain so that as you encounter that person you also become a source of healing for that person's pain and for that person's sorrow in that way God bets out a ministry out of your pain and out of your sorrow I pray may God heal us of every pain may God heal us of every sorrow I remember. You see, when you understand this, then you understand what Joseph said. When he said that, that which you meant for evil, God turned it around for my good. Sometimes a calamity hits you. Sometimes pain hits you. Sometimes a broken heart hits you. And Satan meant it for evil. But God has a way of taking it and turning it around for good. God is not the one who caused the pain. But God says, I will still use the pain that Satan caused to bring glory to me. I don't know what has gone on with your life. But God is saying that I can heal you. And I can use you as a source. I can use that pain as a source of blessing to others. I pray, may the Lord touch us. May the Lord breathe upon us. May the Lord minister to us. And it's almost as if it's like somebody is here and you have a lot of pain in your heart because you are saying that, where is my husband? Everybody seems to have found a husband. Everybody seems to have found a beloved. And I'm still here and I'm 30 something. And I'm almost 40. And I'm still here and there's nobody. God says that, look, as you are talking and saying all of those things, he's standing there and he's watching in heaven. And he says that, I see everything that you say. And I hear everything that you say. And in my own time, I shall minister to you. And I shall bless you if you only hold on. If you will not give up. And the Lord is saying that even sometimes in your singleness, you are a source of encouragement encouragement to somebody because somebody looks at you and says that you are 38 without a husband and you still come to church. You are 39 without a husband and when they are singing praises, you are still dancing. You are 40 without a husband and you are still standing on the stage and you are still singing. You are 45 without a child and you are blessing the name of the Lord and he looked at them and said I'm 28. If you can praise God I can still praise God. If you can worship God I can also worship God. If in your circumstances you can still be blessing the name of the Lord. I can also still be blessing the name of the Lord. Elizabeth was a grandmother, but he and the husband were still serving God faithfully even without the child. And Mary looked at them and said, "Ah, you people, if you can still praise God, 
in your circumstance. Even with this pregnancy that I don't know where it came from, that I stand the chance of being ridiculed. You see, when the, when the angel told Mary that go to your cousin Elizabeth, it wasn't by mistake. Elizabeth had passed through things, has passed through mockery, has passed through ridicule. I'm sure people have laughed at her. And he said, look at your husband. Your husband is even a priest. Your husband is a pastor. Look, if a pastor doesn't have a child, do you, do you know the confidence he must gather to attempt to say that, look, all those who are don't have children. Come, let me pray for you. <laughs> you don't know. Because immediately the people register in their mind, but you, you don't have a child. And you want to pray for us. <laughs> so when they say pray, because look, sometimes you are seeing possibilities in the Bible which are not yet manifested in your life. But you have to still gather the courage to be able to teach them as revealed to you in scripture and trust God to have that manifestation of what you are teaching also in your life. And as you are just standing there preaching and teaching, you are just praying your heart and said, I pray these people receive the word just as it is. I pray they can take their eyes off my circumstance and the fact that I may not have also entered as yet into the fullness of what I'm teaching. But this is the word of God and I pray that it will bless their life. May the Lord help us. May the Lord grant us grace. May the Lord grant us healing. May the Lord elevate us. And may the Lord breathe His Spirit upon us. Praise the Lord. Can we just bow down our heads? You just want to pray right now. And even as this word was coming, I don't know how it ministered to you, but you just want to whisper to God right now. I want to say, Father, just touch me. Just breathe upon me. I've gone through cycles upon cycles upon cycles. Lord, breathe upon me. Lord, intervene on my behalf. Lord, let there be an outpouring of your life into me. Let there be an outpouring of your grace into me. Let there be an outpouring of your spirit into me. Somebody may be walking around and you are saying, even the energy to move on and to keep pressing is gone. I pray right now, let the spirit of the Lord begin to breathe strength into you. Let the spirit of the Lord begin to breathe hope into you. Let the spirit of the Lord begin to breathe life into you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we just ask, that you will help us. We just ask that you will touch us. We just ask that you will strengthen us. Father, we thank you and we bless you for speaking to us and for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace and many blessings.